As is probably clear at this point in the service already, we have moved into summertime, and we are doing the songs for summer or psalms for summer. This is something that we've been doing for several years now. I think this is year nine. We started in Psalm 1, and we are now in Psalm 95, and we've just been preaching our way through the psalms every summer, and uh, I have to say that this is a really good summer. Some of you have been with us in some really hard summers when we've gone through the Psalms, and the Psalms were very difficult to preach week after week when we have been saying, oh Lord, how long, how long, oh Lord, must we keep preaching these Psalms? Uh, but, but this is going to be a really fun summer because there is a lot of praise uh, and rejoicing in who God is in Psalms uh, 95 and uh, the following Psalms that we'll be doing this summer. And so I, I want to encourage you in that and then also want, to, um, want you to see how good God is how good God is. Have you had a time in your life, maybe it's recently, maybe this happens for you regularly, that you're just so happy you just start singing? I see that more in kids than I do in adults. Somehow kids don't have the inhibitions that adults have, and so it's still fine to just be so happy you're making up a song about whatever, and it doesn't really matter what the song is about. I'm just happy right now, and I'm singing. We, we have a little bird in our house. We have a cockatiel, and uh, sometimes she squawks, and we just go, oh, would you please stop? And other times, she just tweets and sings, and it's like, isn't the world great? Isn't the, is, could there be anything more cheerful than a little bird that is singing to you, right? Well, this is, this is that kind of a psalm. This is that kind of a psalm. This is the kind of psalm where we just are delighting in God, and we are uh, rejoicing, and so you've, you've heard this read, and so I'm not going to read uh, through the psalm to start because uh, Brenda did a lovely job of doing that. But let me just start by pointing out in verse 1 that we have this, uh, this command, this strong encouragement to come. Oh, come, it says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Come. It's an invitation. It's a little bit stronger than an invitation. It's not quite a direct command. You get here now. It's not that, right? But it's a strong encouragement. Come, come. Insisting, insisting that you come, that you come and you join us, that you come and gather here in this place. Come, come, come. Come over here. And that's what we get to do on Sunday mornings. That's what we, why we gather here, right? Come here. Come on, guys. Everybody come. Join us. We're coming at 10. We're going to sing praises to the Lord. That's why we're here. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. It is an invitation to come. It is an invitation to come and sing with joy. Now, somehow, somehow, culturally, we sometimes get the cart before the horse. 
And we start to think that the reason that you come to church is to hear a sermon. The reason that you would come to, to church is because the preacher's going to get up and he's going to preach something to you, right? He's going to tell you something. Maybe it's going to be really funny stories. Maybe it's going to be very encouraging. Maybe he's going to make you feel guilty. Whatever it is, he's going to preach at you the word of God. And that's why you go to church. And that's why not everybody needs to go to church because you know what? You can go online. I hate to tell you this, but you can go online and you can find better preachers than your local one. And if you do that, you can listen to sermons all day long, every day, without ever repeating one. And you don't even have to leave the comfort of your home to go do that. But do you know what? We aren't actually gathering here to hear me preach. That's not why we come here. That's not the invitation. The invitation is to come and to rejoice in who God is. If you're coming here to hear me preach, you're here for the wrong reasons. We come here to rejoice in who God is. So if you're coming in late because you can come in like 15, 20 minutes late and still catch the sermon, or if you're leaving early because you can leave early and still have gotten the whole sermon and you just miss out on the singing part, we're here for the wrong reasons. Because the reason that you are invited to this place to gather with these people is because we can rejoice together in who God is. And we have some skilled musicians who will help us to rejoice because some of us need a little bit more courage, encouragement and help than others in our singing. And then we hear from God's word to encourage us to reflect on who God is and how great he is so that we might respond with joy and have reason to praise him, as if we didn't have reason enough just walking in the door. But this is the invitation. This is the invitation that the psalmist gives us. Come, come, come. Come on. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. It is that invitation. It's that invitation that we get to make to other people when we encourage them to come to church with us. Come on, come on. Why should I go to church with you? Because we are going to rejoice in who God is. We get to rejoice in who God is. Come on, come join us. Come join us. Why, is it, is it really good singing? You got a really good band? Doesn't matter. There's going to be a really great sermon? Doesn't matter. The people there are really wonderful? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We get to rejoice in how great God is. And do you know what? God is great. He's great. And so he gives us this invitation. The psalmist gives us the invitation. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and let us make joyful noise to him with songs of praise. But he doesn't just give us that encouragement. He, just, he doesn't just instruct us that that's what we are to do. He starts to give us reasons for doing it. In fact, Psalm 95 is just about as complete a psalm as we could get. And so he's going to start in the place that everything started, which is at creation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God 
and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. This is the God we have come to rejoice in this morning. That's who it is. That's who it is. He's not some kind of local deity. He's not uh, some current fashion trend of, of, of the, the sort of spiritually minded. He is the one true God. The God over all other gods. There is no God that would rival him. He stands alone. And he stands alone because in his hand are the depths of the earth and also the heights of the mountains. And so if you go and you see the deepest holes in the earth, if you go to the Grand Canyon and you see the depth of the Grand Canyon and this huge expanse of just depths, or you go out onto the ocean and you look down and you just see it just goes down forever probably. Deep, deep, deep down. And this is the world that God created and he holds it in his hand like this. And then you go out and you look at Mount Hood and you look at other mountains and you see the heights and the peaks with the snow on the top. You go, that's so high up there. And you just go, and it's right there in his hand. Everything from the deepest depths to the highest heights, all of creation, all of the world is just right there in God's hand. And when we look at it, we marvel. When we look at it, we marvel. Even irreligious people, people who don't believe in God, go and stand at the Grand Canyon and just stand amazed at the expanse of the Grand Canyon. Even people who don't believe in God look at the ocean and its power and its depths and are amazed at the ocean. Or go for a hike in the mountains and see the peaks and all the beautiful scenery that you can see from way up high and say, isn't this amazing? I love to be out here. I love to be out here communing with nature and just seeing the peace and grandeur of it all. And do you know that our God created that and holds the whole thing in his hand? He supports the whole thing. And so while we go out and we are amazed by those same things and say, isn't this peaceful? Isn't this amazing? We take it one step further and say, isn't God great who created all of this? Isn't he awesome? Therefore, he says in verse 6, Oh, come, another invitation, another strong encouragement, an imploring, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. You see, in those first few verses, we were to come and to rejoice. We were to be exuberant and exult in the presence of God, just delighting in Him. Practically dancing, singing, so delighting and, and so happy to be with him. 
And then recognizing that this is the great God who holds the universe in his hand and has created the whole thing, he now invites us to come and take a different posture. Not not this kind of open, the hills are alive with the sound of music kind of thing. I lost Tony in the back. I shouldn't have added the spin. Now he brings us to a new posture of kneeling down, bowing down genuflecting before our creator and acknowledging how small we are in his presence. That the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, the heights and the depths, has also created us. For the Lord is the great God and great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. And so come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Come, reflect Acknowledge in humility before him who he is. Bowing down before this great king. This one who is our God. The one who is our maker. You see in verse 7 it goes on to say, For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He is magnificent and grand and above all things, but also that great God is personal. He is personal. He is not just magnificent, having created everything and being magnificent at distant, he is near. He is our God. He is personal for us. And so when we come, it is not merely as the throngs in a great auditorium with somebody that's up there that is above us all mere mortals, and we are celebrating and cheering for the person on stage who is over there and distant far off. Instead, when we come to the Lord, we come and we bow down and we acknowledge that he is God and he is right there. He is our shepherd. Do you have a practice of coming before the Lord like this? You have a practice of coming before the Lord? Of coming before the Lord in praise and rejoicing? Do you have a practice of coming before the Lord in humility and bowing down and acknowledging Sometimes before him that he is the creator of all things and other times coming down and and acknowledging that he is our personal God, our personal shepherd, the one who is protecting us, caring for us, leading us, guiding us. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, we were preaching through the book of Matthew and Jesus talks about God as the, the shepherd who finds the wandering sheep and brings them back, right? That sort of particular knowledge, not just of mankind, but of you. That kind of 
personal care and attention that the shepherd knows his sheep, not just that there are a whole bunch of them and they each have a number, but knows them all by name and calls to them each by name. And so the invitation to you is to come. To come. And I hope that you have a regular practice of coming before the Lord and acknowledging before Him. Maybe in singing. Maybe in prayer. Maybe in reflection and meditation just of who He is and all that He has done. And of our relationship with Him. And then, he gives a warning. And it's as if some commentators looked at this and said, I think he stuck two different psalms together. Like these two psalms have completely different tones. They have completely different themes. They're just like, we just make this really hard turn. Because the first two sections of this psalm, we're rejoicing and acknowledging how great God is. We are delighting in His presence and singing with joy before Him. And then we are bowing down before this personal God who loves us and who treats us as His sheep and He, our shepherd. And then, the warning. We change voice. It's no longer an invitation to us, calling us by by somebody who said, hey, come on, fellow follower of God, come on. Now it's going to change voice and God is going to speak at us directly. And he says this, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. What? Why, why this turn? I really appreciated the invitation. I really appreciated the encouragement to come in, gather with God's people in his presence and acknowledge how glorious he is. Why suddenly this twist? How come we have to have this part? Can't we just keep it happy? Hey, come on, everybody. Let's all rejoice and sing together. But he doesn't leave it there. He brings the warning because this isn't just a general invitation. This isn't just a nicety where we go, oh, you know what? I really appreciate the invitation to come and worship God. Sounds like a blast, but I'm going to be doing something else at that time. RSVP, no. Today, Today, if if you hear his voice, if you are hearing the voice that is calling you to come to the presence of God to rejoice in him, if you are hearing that voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Could we? I mean, would somebody do that? Look at the beginning part of the psalm. You're acknowledging how awesome is this God of all creation. 
You're walking and hiking in the mountains and seeing the beautiful views and going, God created all of this. How could I not rejoice in this? You're going out on the sea and you're seeing the depths and you're going, how could I not rejoice in the God who created all of this? You think of God as your shepherd, the one who has called you and drawn you out and protects you and watches over you and provides for you. And you think, why would I not do that? Why would I not rejoice in who he is? Do we really need this warning? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as at on the day at Massa in the wilderness. Do we, I mean, we're talking, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, Travis. You're talking to the people who are already in church on Sunday. Shouldn't you be giving a warning message to those who aren't here? Who are the people that he's talking about here? This Maraba and Masa, do you remember that story? When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, even though they had seen my work? Even though they had seen my work. Exodus chapter 17. You may recall that God's people, the Israelites, were in slavery in Egypt, and Moses had called them out of Egypt as God's prophet, brought many miraculous plagues to demonstrate God's power over creation so that the Pharaoh of Egypt would be forced to let them go. Then as they left they, Pharaoh changed his mind and pursued them, and God separated the Red Sea so that the Israelites could cross. And then as they were being pursued by their enemies, the Red Sea closed up over the top of the enemies, and God protected his people. Then how he brought them into the wilderness and provided for his people like a shepherd provides for his sheep by feeding them and providing them for all of, the, all of their needs. Exodus 17, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? 
Marabah and Masa, these words mean to quarrel and to test. And so he called this place the quarreling of the people and the testing of God. That Marabah and Masa. These people who had seen all of these miracles of God, all of the provisions of God, were then questioning God and going, is he here or is he not here? Moses, it seems to me like we are thirsty. It seems to me like you hold us out of Egypt against our will so that you could bring us out into the desert where there's no water, which we told you, hey, guess what? On the other side of the Red Sea, there's no water. And we're thirsty. And so now we're going to die because we are thirsty and our kids are going to die. And why did you do this? We would have been better off in Egypt. Is God even here? Is God even with us in this place? Is he really powerful? Is he really present? Is he really like a shepherd who is going to provide for his people or not? Moses is going, um, excuse me? Did you see the plagues? Did you see the parting of the Red Sea? Did you see the closing of the Red Sea? Did you see the pillar of fire that is leading us when we walk at night? Did you see the cloud? It's right over there that leads us during the day, that shows us that the presence of God is right here in our midst. Are you recalling that our God is great and that our God is provider and that our God is right here in our midst? And he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so while there is an invitation, a strong encouragement that you would come and rejoice in our creator God and our provider God, the one who is powerful and present, there is also a warning or an encouragement that we not harden our hearts against him. That we not harden our hearts against him. Because some of you have seen God do miraculous things in your life or in your fam the life of your family. And even so, find yourself at a point of difficulty going, is God here or not? Is God real or not? Does God care or not? And the invitation is to come and to rejoice in him. And we need to be careful that we don't have the posture of, no. Because when we reject the invitation to come and worship and acknowledge that God is creator and provider, then we begin to harden our hearts against him. Testing him. Quarreling with him. And finding ourselves in peril, just like these Israelites who should have known much, much better. Verse 10 of Psalm 95 says, For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. He, he loathed them. 
He was disgusted with them. They stunk in his presence. In my house, we have some chores. And one of the chores after dinner is to uh, take out the garbage, recycling, and compost. And there are some kids in my house that don't appreciate that chore. They don't appreciate that chore in part because I'm a lazy composter. Composting, very easy. You put everything in the compost bin and it turns into dirt. You don't have to do anything. Now, if you mix in sufficient amounts of brown with your wet greens, then it turns into dirt very quickly. It's a very smooth process. It smells nice. No problem. If, however, you don't mix in the browns with the greens and the wet stuff, you just take the fruit and vegetable scraps and you put them in there, then it is very wet. And it attracts fruit flies and other things, and it doesn't smell the best. And so if you go then to the compost bin and you open it up and go to put stuff in, then you, all the fruit flies come out, and it's the, let's just say that the kids are disgusted by the chore and loathe it. God is disgusted by their lack of faith and loathes them. He says, I loathed, loathed that generation for 40 years. For 40 years. Because these are a people who go astray in their hearts and have not known my ways. They were there walking in the desert, following the cloud and following the pillar of fire. But their hearts were going astray. And they did not really know the ways of God. Their belief was a passive, actionless belief. It didn't result in any changed behavior. They were not coming into the presence of the Lord to rejoice in His presence or humble themselves in His presence. They were just going through the motions. And therefore, it says in verse 11, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Numbers 14, verse 20 says this. Moses, so Moses has been telling God, they are going to stone me. They're having all kinds of issues, all of these Israelites. They're very mad, and I don't know what to do with them. And so God um, God says, okay, I know what I'll do, Moses. I'm just going to wipe them out. We'll just get rid of all of them. I've been disgusted with them anyway for a long time. We're just going to get rid of them. We'll start over with new people, brand new people, no more Israelites. We're just going to all gone. And then Moses stops and goes, "Uh, God, I don't think that's the best plan. And he intercedes on behalf of the people. And he says, God, I know that they are a loathsome, disgusting group of people. Believe me, I know. However, I think for the sake of your reputation in the world, it would be bad if you brought them out into the desert and then wiped them all out. And so is there something that we could do instead of that one? Then the Lord said, Numbers chapter 14, verse 20. 
I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who saw my glory and the signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and still put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despised me shall see it. Or as Psalm 95 puts it, then I swore in my anger, in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God had brought them out of Egypt. He had a land, a promised land that was prepared for them, that he would bring them in with his presence and provision in that place, and that land would be a land where they could rest as a people. They had been in slavery in Egypt. Now they were going to come into this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, where there would be plenty, and God would be there, and they could rest there. And yet God says, but the generation that was old enough to see everything that I did for them and still rejected me, they will not get to enter into my rest. They will not get to enter into my rest. And so this psalm gives us both an invitation, a calling us to come and worship, to rejoice in how great God is, and to humble ourselves in His presence. And it gives us a warning not to harden our hearts against Him. And there are, uh, if you want to know what the Bible is talking about, there are all kinds of commentaries. That is, people making comments on the Bible that can help you understand things. One of the best commentaries on the Bible is the Bible. Anytime that the Bible talks about other parts of the Bible, that's the best commentary that you can go to, the most reliable commentary. And the author of Hebrews took nearly a chapter to give commentary on Psalm 95. I'm very tempted to read you the whole thing. I don't think I should do that. So I think you need to make a note somewhere in a, in a, a note-keeping app, in a calendar notification, on a, a notepad right there in your Bible, wherever it is that you're going to see it, that you should go back and read chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to just try and give you as quick a summary of it as I can, okay? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As it said in, verse, in Psalms, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And yet, who was it who heard and rebelled? It was those who had left Egypt by the hand of Moses and provoked him for 40 years, and they all died in the wilderness. For the good news has now come to us just as it came 
to them, but the message that they did heard didn't benefit them. Okay, so those Israelites, they heard the message and it didn't benefit them because they didn't believe it, they didn't cling to it and hang on to it. And now we have heard the same message that we have that same God who has given us Jesus and we need to be careful not to harden our hearts also. Because then, even if we did that, even in our hearing the message, if we didn't receive it and believe it, we will be like that generation. But the message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not unified by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. And he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, oh, now I got to include this part too. Even though they didn't enter God's rest, even though somewhere it says God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. So even though God rested from all of his works, they did not get to receive that rest. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken on another day later on. And so there does yet remain a rest for God's people. And whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God rested from his. And so let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so this is the encouragement and the challenge, right? That we get from Psalm 95. The encouragement is look at how awesome God is. Come, come. The invitation is to all come and rejoice in who God is, not just in his glory and his splendor and his majesty and his power, but in his presence and his love and his compassion and his mercy, in his provision, because God is great and powerful and God is present and with us. And so come, come and rejoice. And do not harden your hearts. Do not see the things that God has done and yet harden your hearts against him. Make it a practice to come into his presence and rejoice. Make it a practice every Sunday to come into his presence with his people to rejoice in who he is. Make it a practice to do that on your own, to rejoice in who he is who he is. Even you full-grown people in this room, when you're super happy, you can sing. That's okay. Maybe close the doors if you don't want anybody to hear. That's fine. But you can sing and rejoice in who God is. You can delight in him. That is the invitation. And don't, don't harden your hearts. When we have a practice in rejoicing, it softens our hearts. It makes it harder for us to harden them against him because we are delighting in who he is and we are believing, to, but believing in and clinging to his promises. And there is for us who believe an eternal rest that is coming. There is a rest now that I have trouble explaining 
For those who are God's people, there is a peace and a rest in our hearts, even while we are doing the works and, and walking through the world as it is right now. That is something that is happening now. We have a rest now. But it won't even compare to the rest that we will have. Because he is inviting us into an eternal rest. And we're going to get there, and it's going to come soon. So I want to invite you into that, and I want to invite you. You know how those people complained and grumbled against God? And Moses said, what am I going to do? And God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just wipe them out. And Moses interceded for those people. We have somebody even better than Moses who is interceding for us. We have Jesus. The Son of God himself who came in flesh to intercede for us so that he would see and understand our weaknesses, our tendency to harden our hearts against God, our tendency to not humble ourselves before him and to not rejoice in him. He saw all of that and he said, as a good shepherd would, you know what, I see you and the danger you're getting yourself into and I'm going to bring you out of that. And so Jesus comes in as an intercessor even greater than Moses and says, Father God, let's let them live. Let's let them enter our rest. And I will take whatever consequences or punishment there is for their sin. But let's now go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we rejoice to come in your presence because you are great and powerful and mighty. We rejoice to come into your presence because you are with us and have loved us since before the foundation of the world. And Lord, we recognize that we are not worthy of your presence. We recognize that we are not worthy of your holiness. And so we ask, would you forgive us our sins that we might rejoice in you and enter into your rest? And we ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.